0: This Daily 202 podcast is sponsored by Nokia. Nokia is helping drive 5G for America. Powered by Nokia Bell Labs, our innovations accelerate the nation's future. Learn more at nokia.com slash open to more. Good morning, I'm James Holman from the Washington Post and this is the Daily 202 for Wednesday, July 22nd. In today's news, President Trump says the pandemic is likely to get worse before it gets better. The mayor of Miami threatens to lock up residents who refuse to wear masks. And the CDC issues new guidance for how long you should isolate if you get symptoms of COVID-19. But first, the big idea. A major rift is widening between the White House and Senate Republicans as they stumbled to formulate a united coronavirus budget plan, lacking agreement on policy goals, spending parameters, and even deadlines. The Republican and White House positions changed multiple times on Tuesday as the day went on, with some GOP lawmakers refusing to rally behind Trump's demand for a payroll tax cut, while others worked to convince White House emissaries that more money was needed for testing and the CDC. Complicating matters, other Republican lawmakers appeared mortified about the growing price tag of the bill. Senator Ted Cruz, the Republican from Texas, is incensed at the push to boost spending levels. He stood up during a private lunch with all the GOP senators and the administration negotiators, including Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. Raising his voice, Cruz said, quote, What the hell are we doing? The whole process now appears likely to spill into August something the White House and congressional Democrats had hoped to avoid because it could mean that more than 20 million Americans would lose emergency unemployment benefits when they expire at the end of this month. They have not mapped out a plan for what would happen to these people as the turmoil continues to weigh on our economy. My colleagues Erica Werner, Jeff Stein, and Sungmin Kim report that part of the problem here stemmed from the White House's failure to go into the talks with a preset strategy or a list of proposals that they knew GOP lawmakers would rally behind. This miscalculation created immediate problems. Numerous demands the White House had tried to formulate over the weekend were erased within hours. Mnuchin said on Monday that the goal was to keep the spending bill around $1 trillion, but on Tuesday he abandoned that and said it will be more White House officials also indicated that they would no longer push for cuts to testing in the CDC, which they said they would over the weekend. And after a barrage of criticism of Trump's demand for the payroll tax cut, White House officials have also stopped trying to press that matter. Democrats say the Republican infighting shows how unprepared and ill-equipped they are to handle the country's worst economic crisis since 1933 and its worst public health crisis since 1918. House Democrats passed a $3 trillion spending bill back in May that would send another round of stimulus checks, provide more money to states, and help hospitals, among other things. But the White House has vowed to block it, and the Senate hasn't taken it up. Republicans do appear to be gravitating toward a proposal on what to do about those expiring unemployment benefits, however. In March, Congress approved an additional $600 weekly benefit through the end of July for unemployed Americans. Democrats have proposed extending those benefits into next January, but the White House and some Republicans now want to cut the extra benefits to about $200 a week. Cruz was not the only conservative to speak up at the lunch. He favors reducing the amount of the extra unemployment benefit, but he's also worried about spending more money. Other lawmakers who voted for the $2 trillion CARES Act back in March, which had the $600, said they will not support a new package if its price tag exceeds $1 trillion. Senate Finance Chairman Chuck Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, argued against a payroll tax cut, making the case that voters wouldn't notice that tax relief and that he was skeptical the policy changes would even be implemented before October. Electoral politics was also in consideration throughout that pretty contentious private GOP lunch. Senator Tom Cotton, the Republican from Arkansas, who's laying the groundwork to run for president in 2024, urged other GOP senators to be more attentive to what Republicans in competitive re-election bids are hearing on the ground from voters, which is to spend more money. And he made the case that the GOP, if it loses its majority, will see Democrats implement policies that in the long run are more costly to the national debt. So he argued then that spending more money now Would aid Republicans in their races and be cheaper in the long run. Cruz said spending more would lead to a revolt among conservative voters in November. The Texas senator, who also wants to run for president again in 2024, said Republicans should be focused on a safe restart of the economy. He said that if the economy is shuttered still in November, Democrats will win the White House and the Senate, and that Republican senators who usually meet for this weekly lunch in the ornate Mansfield room of the Capitol, will, quote, be meeting in a much smaller lunchroom next year. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this hump day. Number one, as the politicians dithered and argued, the daily coronavirus death toll in the United States topped 1,000 yesterday for the first time since May. More than 139,000 of our fellow Americans have now succumbed to the contagion. More than 65,000 new coronavirus cases were recorded yesterday alone, adding to a nationwide tally of more than 3.8 million since the pandemic began. Meanwhile, several states that were quick to rush to reopen, including Cruises Texas plus Florida and Arizona, each counted more than 130 new deaths. Tuesday's death toll is the highest reported since June 2nd, but thankfully still lower than the worst dark days of April. Only a tiny percentage of Americans, including those in the hardest-hit areas, possess the necessary antibodies for immunity to the coronavirus, according to new data released by the CDC. The agency also revealed yesterday that the number of coronavirus infections in the U.S. is probably 10 times higher than the official count because of problems with testing and asymptomatic individuals who are spreading the virus unbeknownst to themselves. Trump walked to the lectern in the White House briefing room alone yesterday evening, attempting to single-handedly hit the reset button on the public blame he's increasingly faced for failing to control the contagion. Three months after he abandoned his daily virus briefings and attempted to turn the country's attention away from the crisis toward what he called the great American comeback, Trump's low-key reappearance before reporters seemed to be a tacit admission that his previous strategy had failed. Trump said during the 30-minute briefing in which he spoke in subdued tones that, quote, this will probably, unfortunately, get worse before it gets better. He said he doesn't like to say it, but, quote, that's the way it is. On the same day that Joe Biden slammed him by saying the president has quit on the country, Trump urged Americans to wear masks and stay away from crowded bars. Number two. Miami's mayor just announced that the Florida city will dedicate 39 law enforcement officials full-time to enforcing the city's mask ordinance. Violators who are caught not wearing a mask will be fined $50 the first time, $100 the second time, and $500 after that. He said anyone who violates the ordinance more than three times will be arrested and jailed. Meanwhile, a coalition of black mayors, including Atlanta's Keisha Lance Bottoms, called on governors to allow cities to institute and enforce their own local mask mandates. The governor of Georgia is suing Bottoms in court to stop her from requiring masks in the state's biggest city. And Marriott, the world's largest hotel chain, just announced that it will begin requiring all guests to wear masks in common areas. But Lowe's, the hardware store, said its employees will not try to enforce a face mask mandate out of concern for their own personal safety. Number three, you should isolate for at least 10 days after the onset of symptoms if you test positive for the coronavirus. That's according to new guidance from the CDC. The CDC had previously recommended people who test positive isolate until they had two negative swabs for the coronavirus, but that turned out to be impractical given the shortage of tests. Public health authorities now advise most people with active cases of COVID to isolate for 10 days after symptoms begin and 24 hours after their fever has broken. After that, the government says they should feel free to leave isolation. For those who have a positive test but are asymptomatic, the agency recommends isolating 10 days from the testing date. The CDC noted that a limited number of persons with severe illness may continue to produce the virus and spread it longer and may warrant extending the isolation period to as long as 20 days. One of the real challenges for reporting on this right now is that most states are failing to report key data to help us understand what's going on out there, what the ground truth is. Only two states are reporting data on how quickly contact tracers are able to interview people who test positive to learn about potential contacts, and not a single state, not one, reports on the turnaround time for getting diagnostic test results back week-long waits for results which have become the norm, hobble efforts to track real-time virus spread, and make contact tracing, frankly, irrelevant. But reports from the newest hotspots are troublesome. More than 500 women tested positive for the virus yesterday at a federal medical prison in Fort Worth, Texas. And the Congregation of the Sisters of St. Felix in Livonia, Michigan, has lost 13 sisters to the virus, a fifth of the convent's community. With a dozen dying in just one month. Obviously, it goes without saying. This is a dark chapter in our country's story. Government is failing to live up to its side of the bargain in our social contract. But everyday Americans keep stepping up. They're showing that our country is still great because our people are fundamentally good. Consider Marty Von Drasek from my home state of Minnesota. Marty's 68 years old. She retired last year as a nurse. She'd come up with a routine. It involved not changing out of her floral pajamas until 11 a.m. But when her hospital, Fairview St. John's in Maplewood, found itself consumed by the pandemic, she renewed her nursing license and answered a call to help. She's been working full time, going in almost every day since April at 7 a.m., and often staying late into the night. The number of cases in Minnesota had dipped in early summer, but sadly, infections are on the rise again. She plans to stay on staff until the spread of the virus slows, likely sometime in 2021. Marty's kids, Lydia and Nicholas, worry about their mom, who has underlying medical conditions, picking up the coronavirus at work. But as Marty puts it, quote, I'd feel guilty if I didn't do something. I can't Just sit at home on my hands. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, July 22nd. Thanks for listening. We're doing a listener survey to assess our whole suite of podcasts, and we'd love to get your thoughts again. To share your feedback, please go to WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. All one word. Tell us what you like, what you don't, how we can serve you better. Again, that's WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. I'm James Hellman. Try not to sit on your hands today.